Pushing Back Chaos with Mel and Mike and Raph. Welcome back to another episode of Pushing Back Chaos with me, Paul Mellon McFadden. You may have seen uh, from the media post I put out and a bit of the, the show notes and clearly on your screens if you're watching on YouTube, we've been joined by a special guest. So I'd like to welcome you, Brenda. How are you going? Good morning. I'm doing well. How are you, Mellon? I'm good. I'm good. It's afternoon here for me. It's morning for you. And uh, we've got our regular co-host there, Mike. How are you, Mike? Oh, I'm great, Mellon. I got, I got a question for you. And uh, Mellon served himself up this one, so I'm just going to put him on the spot. So last week, I had to do a solo episode, not counting on that. So I hope I hope you guys got something out of that. But Mellon, do you, can you tell the audience why a six foot four, 250 pound man uh, with weights <laughs> and what he was doing? Well, I was just out collecting, uh, selling cookies for Girl Scouts and that, collecting money in charity. Something, something about a, a a very small car, and you weren't you lost as, access to it. What what happened? Well, let's just let's just say that there was car troubles. We'll just leave <laughs> it at that. All right, there you go. Um, yeah, dependable. If you're ever uh, going to the airport <laughs> and uh, anything to do with aviation, it's never the pilot's fault that you're late. Just keep that in no. mind, okay? But be prepared to do everything on your own. Okay. Well, we good? We good? You, we're, we're good. Okay, we're good now. We're good. <laughs> Try to work here. So, so Brenda, people have probably seen here with a little bit of the intro we've posted with uh, some of the posts preceding this in the show notes that uh, you're a uniform member. You're, uh, you're not a military member, but you're another first responder like us and like a lot of our audience. So if you're happy to, could you just tell us a little bit about yourself, where you're from, and uh, what type of uniform it is that you wear? So I am uh, a police officer. Uh, I've been a police officer for five years. I am originally from Argentina, World Cup champions, no big deal. <laughs> <laughs> a real oh, sport, you know. Ooh, um, and, and pretty good at rugby as well, Los Pumas. Oh, absolutely. We have a really good rugby team too. Um, real sports, you know, the kinds that are watched around the world. Is that not right? Just, yeah, yeah. Not just in the U.S., Sing it, sing it. I'm with you. I feel like I'm cornered here. What the hell is going on? <laughs> uh, so I was born in Argentina. I came to the U.S. when I was nine years old. I was raised in uh, Miami by a single mom. Um, wow. I decided that I wanted to join uh, law enforcement at nine years old. And 9-11 uh, happened. I'd been in the U.S. for about a year at that point. And um, it was... Um, it was something that really pushed me to start my career in law enforcement. And I, that was my dream. Um, I grew up uh, being an illegal immigrant uh, for oh. the majority of my life. And when I was able to uh, get my citizenship, the first thing I did was apply to departments. At that point, I was living in uh, central Virginia. I applied to five, six departments in the area. And the first one that took me, that's where I went. I started my career in a very uh, violent uh, area of, uh, of the city, um, wow. which is, you know, like projects uh, kinds uh, for people that don't know. It's like it's like a, a lot of uh, violent crimes, stabbings, shootings, uh, violent domestics, uh, lots of drugs um, and guns. Uh, so and then after that, I did three years in the department. And uh, two years ago, I transferred to another department nearby. And I've been there ever since. And I'm working towards different things in that department. So I'm super happy to be there. Uh, it's been a great experience for me. Well, what an intro. I mean, that's, I, I have a very close friend. Yeah, he's an Argentinian friend and moved to Australia. I played rugby with him. He was a teammate of mine back in the day, uh, Juan Pablo Aguiar. And I've just got to say that that migrant story, my wife's family are migrants to Australia. My family obviously uh, migrated at some point back from uh, back in the day from Ireland. But there's something to be said about people who come to a society and don't take things for granted and just the work ethic that my friend, my Argentinian mate, the first day he got there, he had a job in a restaurant, you know, and found a Mexican restaurant, Spanish speakers, and just got into it. And 
uh, now owns his own business there. It's pretty extraordinary. I just, you know, we sing the praises here of the people who put the hand up and get on with it. And that's a pretty extraordinary thing to have come to the US and then you're only a little girl and 9-11 happened. So could you tell us maybe a little bit, that's obviously going to be a thing that a lot of the military members and first responders, police, fire, ambulance, paramedics, who listen to the show and their families are really going to, that's going to resonate for a lot of us. Can you tell us maybe about what that was like for you as a little gone, why that sort of triggered this desire to join police and, and to get into law enforcement and community service in that way? So I think when I, when I was watching, so I lived in Miami at that time and it was a huge event, but I didn't really, I didn't speak the language. Um, I was watching all the news in Spanish. I remember when 9-11 happened, I was in uh, PE class and they just brought us all in. I was in fourth grade. They brought us all in and a Spanish speaking teacher came in and explained to us what was going on. And they turned on the TV and we were able to watch it on TV and watching those um, police officers and firefighters running towards the chaos um and you know people running away uh that triggered something in me that said I, that's what i want to do i want to run towards that i want to help people in that way um it's it just it's a different kind of feeling because before that i just i kind of didn't know what i wanted to do i was nine you know um yeah. but ever since then that was my passion and i was like okay as soon as i get my citizenship that's what i'm gonna do and that was my goal uh, and I was able to achieve it. And I was so, so happy uh, when I got hired through a department, even though like now I have to work super hard to be a good police officer and everything like, and, and the academy was super hard. It's like going into a uh, basic for a military, you know? Mm. So, but other than that, like I, I was so pumped about it and super passionate about what I was going to do that I didn't care. I was like, I'm going to do this and I'm going to, I'm going to be very good at it she almost wow. she almost swore there which is standard it's okay that that verbiage, <laughs> that verbiage is allowed here on the show in the community it, she, she i have a potty mouth yeah it came out i was like ah, ah it was good control it was good control. Yeah. um it was almost melon trying to hold back telling everybody's a pilot you know it's like ah, wow. i gotta tell you i gotta say it i gotta say it restraint but <laughs> no listeners um, yeah yeah that, that's a really um relatable thing I, you know mm. i was in eighth grade during 9 11 and i remember watching it and just again seeing people running to chaos instead of uh running away from it and you know it's it's one of the reasons i really like the title of our show is like pushing back chaos is you got to get hands-on you got to you got to get close to it and be able to affect it in the right way and um you know it's just utmost respect i have a lot of leo friends uh, that are out there. My best friend's a, a canine guy, you know, so I always hear the awesome stories and stuff that's going on every single day. And uh, one thing I will admit is, you know, I know 9-11 and a lot of stuff with service is like a lot goes to the military. But if I'm being 100% honest, uh, LEOs that are out there is, is are you guys are in it every day. Like mm -hmm. every single day you're out there patrolling, seeing something, dealing with Everything from traffic stuff to murders to shootings to drugs to, you know, whatever. And, um, you know, my so I guess my next question for you is going into it, you explained it like, yeah, I want to be there. I want to be in help and everything. But once you got there, what were some things that you are now doing that you weren't expecting to like have to do or become? I think um the hardest part for me was being able to have like a strong mental capacity to deal with some of these calls and things that I was going through. Mm -hmm. um, and the academy, so in the academy, the, the first thing that they told us, our instructors, we had two instructors. Uh, we had one guy, he was a SWIC guy, and the other guy was a Marine. Uh, and they're both police officers now. So total badasses, and uh, they were super hard on us. Um, and uh, first of all, we had uh, 19 people in our academy class, and eight of them were females. We had the most females mm. ever in that academy class wow. in 
that department. Um, so we pushed very hard and they, you know, kind of, they just like the military, they break you down and then they build you back up. Um, and, but you still don't fully get it until you get out into the street and you start dealing with some of these calls. And mm -hmm. I think there is a, because let's, you know, we don't get into like an officer involved shooting every day, right? You have, get PTSD from things like that, but it's a cumulative thing. Um, so lack of sleep and uh, your work schedule and um, people not supporting you and getting screamed at every day. And, you know, it's just, it's a cumulative thing. And you start uh, really questioning uh, whether or not this is going to be something that is for you and uh 2020 hit and mm. we were dealing with you know we're we're in the middle of virginia you know the confederacy was here in virginia um so we have a lot of the confederate statues and things like that and we dealt with hell uh during 2020 during the riots mm. and i think that was a breaking point for a lot of people uh on whether or not they wanted to continue policing um, and I had a moment of, of, uh, of questioning myself of, is this what I want to do? Is, because I don't know, I don't see an end in sight. We had 108 days that we were pulled off patrol completely to deal with, uh, the riots and protests and things like that. And I wasn't, I was at the end of my rookie year and I felt like I wasn't learning anything that I was just uh, being berated every day and it was just hard to deal with and coming home and working 17 hour shifts, coming home, sleeping for a little while, going back to work. The first 17 days we worked it straight. We didn't have any days off. Then we started getting one or two days off and we were there the whole summer. And I was, I really, one day I called one of my academy instructors and I was like, Hey, I don't know if I want to keep doing this. Um, I, I don't know. And he's like, this is a time to work on other things that, you know, I know you want to be out on the street, you want to be getting the bad guys, but this is an opportunity to think about other things. Um, so mm. he sent me a couple podcasts, he sent me a couple things to read. And I was like, okay, I'm going to keep doing it. However, you know, that's when we started losing officers. And that happened all over the country. And uh, I think that in the coming year, we lost over 120 officers from wow. the previous department. Mm. Would you say that this was a direct impact of the, was it the riots? Was it the defund the police feeling? Was it the whole thing mixed together with COVID? It was the whole thing. So it was the, the riots, the defund the police movement. Um, we were, the police was being used as political pawns at that point to build mm. a narrative and vilify us when, you know, policing is a very noble profession, um, yeah. but they were trying to make us look like the bad guys. Um, you know, one person doing something in a different state uh, in one occasion makes us all bad. Uh, so that's 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 the narrative that they were trying to push. And um, that hurt a lot of us, you know, like people weren't, if you're working 70 hours a days well, you know, all these days in a row, you have no time for going home and spending time with your family, you know, sleeping right, eating right. Uh, and that wears on your body and people were mm. over it. Yeah. And so that kicked a lot of us down. I, th I think a lot of people don't think about, um, well, personally, I don't think a lot of people treat other people like humans anymore. And, and I know that's like one of the topics that you wanted to like talk about, which we'll get into in a little bit. But, you know, it's not just showing up and just doing a job like you're a human being just like the rest of us. Like everybody has the same issues, whether you're a police officer, whether you're the criminal, uh, whether you're military, whether you're first responder or like whatever you do. Like we all have stuff going on, everybody. And yeah, just like the basics of going home and getting sleep. You know, if you don't get enough sleep every night, your body doesn't heal right, then your mind's not working right. And then it's compacting over time, day by day by day. And then when people are screaming at you, shooting at you, uh, you know, you're being berated from every direction like that, I think, really led to a lot, not just within mm. 
uh, first responders, but the country, I think everybody was just seeing it so much. And there was like a mental health crisis going on. Like I, it started in 2020. I think that's pretty fair to say that, you know, um, self-harm and a bunch of other things were going way up and people didn't know who they were or what they were doing with their life. And, you know, like you said, a lot of people were leaving the force. Um, my best friend has told me many times, like, yeah, man, we, we lost a lot of guys too. You know, it's just guys just don't want to do it anymore. Like they're like, what's the point? You know, they're not getting support. They're not, they're getting treated bad every day and they just want to go home and be like parents, you know, they're like mm. kids and I'm giving up going to their recital. I'm giving up going to their baseball game and doing stuff that we all want to do. We all want to be at home with our families and comfortable and no one attacking us and doing stuff. But it's like, I also have to provide for my family. I, I have to have a job. I have to bring mm. in money and benefits and like, make sure we have a security bubble just like everybody else. Um, <clears throat> and I think we we just forget that perspective because of all the stuff that gets thrown like you said and i don't want to get into all that it's ugly but the political realm and back and forth and mm. evil and good and all that stuff it's just like man just look at the human aspect and i think you'll see things a lot different you know yeah my brother-in-law is a um police officer in melbourne in australia my hometown and my sister is a, a nurse so they've got like a a heavy community service sort of focus in that family. And there's a lot of sacrifice with the shifts that they're doing and raising two kids. And it's a crazy thing for me to hear um, at that time, the calls for defunding the police. I just could not understand what was the message that the, you know, the, the confusion that I thought the people must be suffering from for that to be coming out of people's mouths and for that to get traction and to get mass media coverage and it was like a narrative was being pushed. And and to me, it's all about, you know, fund them more, more training, better quality equipment, all the courses, better recruiting. It just, the whole, the whole thing, it just seems to me was just turned on its head in that time. And like, I'm in the Middle East and my family are in Melbourne, but it was just like with a view to that. And you think, and I really think that like, policing only really works it's community policing like all the police are members of the community their parents and family members and husbands and wives and all the rest of it and when you, you it must feel like when the community support is not there i can really imagine why these 120 police left your department and why mike's uh, mate said that there was the same thing happening there have you got any sort of insight there in what it's like when you you know because you're you're a member of the community and I feel like that that community policing model is the only thing that's ever going to work. It can't be like a military enforcement of, you know, weapon carrying people in uniform, like a Nazi state. You know what I mean? That's not what works in our in our Western doc democracies. No, so obviously I I believe in being able to put community policing together with proactive policing. And you can still catch all the bad guys, but you can still be out there engaging with the community. Uh, when I came out, I was working in, in the projects and, you know, people don't like the police in the projects. They don't. They have bad experiences with the police. Uh, but I went out there. I started. I got I went to every single store every single day. Why? Because people like to congregate at stores. So I started making conversation with random people. I would pass by, say hi, you know, and, and being able to build those relationships with the community, just walking around neighborhoods. I would just do walking beats and yeah. uh, get to know people and play with the kids. And, um, you know, people are like, okay, well, she's not bad. She's not a bad police officer. So they started giving me tips and information on the people that are doing bad things in those communities because they also want to live happy, healthy lives. And they don't want to mm. be worried about their kids playing outside and having a drive-by shooting. And if they know who committed that drive-by shooting or they know what, which one's the drug house um, and who's bringing the violence into their communities, they're going to reach out. And they, but they need somebody they can trust. Mm. Um, and they're just not going to go out to any police officer and say that. They need somebody they can trust. And if I'm out there every day and I'm showing my face and I'm making conversations with them and I'm helping them out and I get the opportunity to, you know, help them. I had a, you know, I had a, a fire 
that occurred in, in one of the, the, the projects that I worked in uh, it displaced a whole family with two kids and the kids went to live with the neighbor and the parents kind of like disappeared for a few days. Um, they're drug addicts. So they disappeared for a few days and the neighbor was alone with the kids. And so I went out there and I, and I started, I called some charities and I picked them up clothes and I got them some, uh, you know, games, things that they can play with. Um, and I brought it over to them and then she started being friendly with me and she was like, Hey, thank you for helping out. And I connected her with all these things. Cause we, who else, has those connections you know what i mean mm. who's going to be able to connect people to the thing to the resources that they need um i if i have that ability then i'm going to do that and um then she was she was like super anti-police she had she had a criminal record and everything she's like i hate the police but you're a nice person you're a nice lady so it was awesome to be able to have those connections with people and i think that's super important for every police mm. officer to do you can still catch the bad guys if you make that community co policing connection. Yeah, hundred percent. I really like, <clears throat> I really like how you. I mean, this is a classic example, perfect example, masterclass on putting the relationship first. And we talk about that all the time. And like, no matter what we're doing, your title, your position, like where you're at, whether you're good, whether you're bad, you know, however you're labeled, it doesn't matter. It's uh, investing in relationships with people. And again, like establishing a connection is your biggest currency, right? It's just like you can be the most successful police officer that ever walked the earth and you're walking around with your medals and, you know, position in your firearm and like doing whatever. But if you're an asshole, you're an asshole and no, one, no one's going to like you, you know, but if you're out there doing exactly what Brendan's talking about and trying to establish and focus on relationships <laughs> with people, um, you know, and connecting in a way where they can see through the badge in, in a sense, um, I think you're going to have a great success. You know, one of the things I always share is like, I've been all over the world, 33 countries, four continents, soon to be five, Melon, soon to be five. Ah, and, soon. Uh, soon, yes. And, uh, you know, the one thing I've learned in every culture, er, behind every religion, behind every, um, you know, organization, everybody in the world wants what's best for their kids mm. that's one thing we all have in common uh we all want to take care of our family we all want to take care of our kids and we're willing to do whatever it takes to do that sometimes we make good decisions sometimes we don't um but that's where i i, I personally believe in exactly what brenda's doing is focusing on that relationship and showing people that like hey i'm human mm. too i have the same problems i'm just like you i'm just I just committed to a different decision than you did or have another opportunity or network. And uh, if you are willing to step into that and that's the way you want to go, then exactly what she did. She's like, I, I have resources. I know connections. I can help you. I want to help you. Um, that's going to change that dynamic so much and, and eliminate mm. the, uh, as I call it, the white noise of politics and bullshit, you know? So I applaud you. That's, that's awesome. That's a really good example. So, Brenda, I was hoping, can we get a little bit more detail, as much as you're happy to share, about what you're specializing in now and what you're sort of thinking you might be moving forward with your career, like your next steps, the things that appeal to you, as well as some of the areas of, of what has been in your rear vision, Mary, where you've come from? So, um, so far in my career, I've been a patrol officer. Mm -hmm. I I was a field training officer um, in my last department. Um, field training officers, when the cadet, the recruit graduates, uh, they go out into field training and they ride with an experience, experience officer and they teach them the ropes and they grade them every day. And you have to pass that in order to become a full-fledged police officer and be out on your own. So I did that for a little bit in my last department. And so I applied for this in my new department. Uh, I got it. I'm going to, they have a 40-hour school that I have to get recertified through and go through that. Um, I'm also uh, taking a class for um, general instructor school so I can start teaching some uh, academy classes. Because um, mm -hmm. I, I have a passion for helping the recruits uh, and being able to be a good example for them. Um, and then another thing that I recently applied for and I'm trying to get into is uh, the vice and narcotics route in my wow. department. And they do... Um, 
gambling, cigarette trafficking, drug trafficking, human trafficking, um, and it's pretty much all the vices and narcotics, which is any kind of trafficking and, and gambling that you can think of. Um, so I applied for that. I'm on the list, waiting to get pulled. I'm a, I'm, I'm a little too far down on the list to possibly get pulled this year for that. But I did apply for um, our, we call it our set team, which is what they do is um, they do a lot of uh, surveillance and finding wanted people. And um, they help out with vice narcotics. They get pulled to help with other jurisdictions and the, they help the feds and they kind of put together. So it's, it's a good, it's a three year commitment to this team. Mm. I get it. And it's, it's a learning experience in order to uh, become a good investigator and jump into one of those detective positions. But I have a bunch of classes lined up. Uh, this apartment that I'm in right now is really good about bringing classes to us so that we don't have to go out and find our own classes and they pay for a lot of our training. So we don't have to come out of pocket for any of it. Um, and so I have put in for a lot of those. I'm waiting to get in some. I already got into others. Um, that's what I want to do. I think uh, I really want to help um, people in that way. We have a very big problem with narcotics mm. and people dying every day mm. from overdoses. Mm. And the only way to stop it is from the source. Yeah. Mm. Real, real quick question. And I'm, I'm pretty sure I already know what it is. What do you what do you think the biggest uh, narcotics problem is right now uh, in, Vir in in Virginia, but also just in the U.S.? Fentanyl. Fentanyl. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. It's killing people. Yeah. My uh, like I said, my best friend is a LEO. He's a canine guy and his uh, canine is a drug dog. And he's he's literally saying about 80 percent of all of his busts that he's getting. There is uh, always something laced with fentanyl into their uh <laughs> you name it like they're finding it and it's just crazy um in pill form or intermixed with uh, other drugs that are recreational uh today uh considered recreational or oh it's no big deal it's just this um and that's what's really killing people um western where i'm from western pennsylvania is uh, a huge uh trafficked area from the southern border all the way up to new york like going into new york city and stuff like that um, for heroin and fentanyl and there's people every single day popping up in the news uh, that are overdosing and just for my high school class uh, i think we've lost nine nine people in my high school class have overdosed from one of the two um it's it's just sucks it's, i mean it's 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 that's the pandemic if you ask me yeah so you've done a lot. You've got a lot of experience in five years, more than you probably anticipated. But uh, a really good um, uh, perspective that we want to get from you. Is, and we've had we've had females on the show before from pilots to medics to, uh, you know, di different backgrounds. But being in a primarily male dominated environment, um, coming up as a female and your background and everything. um how challenging is that? And what are some things that you've had to do in order to evolve to, um, we'll, we'll call it fit the environment, fit, fit the mold and dealing with other people, like dealing with other guys that are always around all the time that can be, you know, a little, what's the term? Alpha, alpha gorilla. Is that right, Melon? Yeah. Alpha gorilla, <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, we know there's always, there's always a couple in every uh in every department isn't it <laughs> i think um so i was very lucky that the two academy instructors that i had were super pro female um and they were like let's get these girls let's make them into a bunch of badasses and they called us the lady valkyrie <laughs> and uh, we, you know, it was obviously I knew that I was going into a field that was male dominated and I knew that I had to prove myself. And when I graduated the academy, um, I went into field training. I did very well in field training and I had some standout moments and I was perked, picked first for my precinct. And I was going to the most violent sector in the city and I decided um, 
you know, okay, how am I going to show up, uh, five foot four, 130 pounds, uh, and, and prove to these guys that I can roll with them, you know? Um, first of all, I'm a rookie. All of them have been doing the job for the longest, you know, longer than me, at least that the, um, shortest amount of time was like six months before me, which was the Academy before me. And there was three guys from that Academy, um, with us. And, um, I was just, the most important thing was being a good back, you know, uh, being a good backing officer and being willing to learn and uh, mm. showing them that I wasn't afraid. You know, we, we went into some very serious situations that, you know, obviously you're going to, you're going to be scared sometimes on this job. Uh, but how you get through that is going to show your character. It's going to show how mentally strong you are um, and uh, not being afraid to get my hands dirty and go hands on with people. And I think that's super important. So I made sure that I was doing my jujitsu and I was uh, working out and mm. that I was staying in shape because that's super important. You see somebody, you see a police officer, they're not in shape. You're kind of doubting their ability to help you or be a good, you know, uh, backing officer if things do go wrong. Um, so I made sure that I that I stayed in shape, that I did my jiu-jitsu, that I showed up to the calls. I helped these guys. And, you know, as a female, I was able to handle some calls better than they were because compassion and sympathy, yeah. <laughs> you know, those kinds of things that the big gorillas <laughs> struggle with. <laughs> so, <laughs> so they, you know, and I was the only Spanish speaker. So they, they would call me when they needed translation and things like that. And so um, I think uh, being able to prove that you're an asset wow. um, to the team and mm. what you bring to the team is super important. And yeah, I might not be able to bench press as much as they can or, you know, run as fast as they can, but I'll get there <laughs> after you catch them and we'll fight them together. And, and, you know, uh, we'll, we're going to get through it together and I'll, I'll be here. I'm never going to, you know, not back you. You're always going to have somebody mm -hmm. there and that's going to be me. That, that is just such a great list. Like, honestly, I know, um, Mark could be thinking exactly the same thing. I'm just thinking we, we have this real thing about the willingness to be a beginner, the, win the willingness to be alone, you know, to be in that environment where you know, you're going to learn and you're going to make a few mistakes, being willing to get your hands dirty and, and get in there and like for for us it's being a good wingman and for for mark it's being a good teammate and for you there the backing officer that whole going in together and sharing that challenge together and being a resource also the training piece around maintaining your physical fitness uh the, you know jiu-jitsu the, these physical hands-on stuff i find that the people who are the more capable they are the less they end up having to use those hands-on sorts of skills because they have that confidence and they know when, where the threshold is that other people perhaps are not seeing so clearly. And I just love the last bit there around the empathy and the ability to de-escalate, the ability to, to speak Spanish and connect and communicate with people. But there's that still that focus that, that you, you mentioned right at the start about that community policing side of things, that it doesn't always have to be a physical confrontation. I think that's a fantastic list of attributes and strengths for uh, someone in a male environment. And it's a, it's a testament to you at four foot <laughs> something and hundred, not much pounds, you know, that you're out there more than pulling your weight. It's fantastic. You know, the most important thing I think from the Academy I got was they asked us what the most important tool we have was. Mm. And they, you know, they gave us a, a tool belt. And they give us our vest with all kinds of tools and all these things that we can use. And we were all trying to figure out, okay, what's the most important tool? It's your mouth. It's what comes out of your mouth. It's what you say. Mm -hmm. That's the most important tool that you have as a police officer. It's not anything that is given to you by the department. It's not a badge. It's not a gun. It's none of the tools that they give you. It's, it's what you say that comes out of your mouth that's able to get you through a lot of these situations. I like that. Um, I was, a, I was a breacher for 10 years. So, you know, blowing walls and doors open stuff, whatever. And there's a saying, it's just like, 
Yeah, dude, I can put it. I can put a five pound charge on everything, and I'm gonna get in. Okay, like I'm gonna blow a hole into the wall, and I'm gonna get in, right? And we'll accomplish that one mission. But I'm also gonna destroy the house. I'm also gonna destroy everything in it and everyone in it. And then there's gonna be repercussions that come from my arrogance of being like, boom, you know, I'm just gonna go, you know, full charge every time or um, sledgehammer to a nail every single time, and you can do that, but you're also going to open up a can of worms with like 10 other problems that now you have to deal with when you're talking about teams and, you know, everybody talks about diversity, right? Diversity, diversity, and everybody instantly goes to this race thing. And it's just like black and white and you need diversity, like educate yourself, grow up, look at situations. Some situations can be very vague and vanilla and just kind of like, yeah, Hey, we're going to impose our force on you and we're going to win. All right, cool. Got it. Other things are very, very meticulous, especially what mm -hmm. she's talking about a lot of narcotics and drug work. I have some buddies in those backgrounds and, you know, they have to fit the bill. Like they can't look the standard. They can't look as the common idea of a police officer, what they have to offer. They have different skills, very niche skills that maybe they learned when they grew up, uh, you know, and they have an ability. Maybe they're very tech savvy. And it's like, dude, you are the perfect piece that we can put in here. It's not the nail, it's the pin needle that we need, right? And women bring that stuff too in certain environments, you know? I mean, not to make it a sexist thing or anything, but it's very effective when you can put a female that's undercover doing stuff in a male environment. And, the, and it's well known that these guys are very soft towards women and you found their weakness. Now you can get in and exploit them and they're screwed. Why wouldn't I use my best tool to get in there and take you out instead of just trying to go to get in a gunfight with you or something? You know what I mean? So it's like using other methods and tools um, in that sense to defeat a, an uncommon enemy um, is smart, you know, and that's true diversity. It's not just what color you are. It's not just male mm. or female. It's what are your abilities? What skills do you have to offer? Um, what language do you speak? um life experience life experience 100%. you know am i gonna am 100%. i gonna get some rich kid from you know i don't know freaking i don't know you're a rich kid <laughs> am i gonna get some kid that never had adversity or grew up in the projects put on a badge and then be like hey you're gonna go work the bronx today it's like is he still gonna go yeah is he gonna be successful probably not because you know what is his, what's his life experience he never had to look at people struggling to pay bills or you know kids that can't afford clothes walking down the street in the middle of winter or like whatever it is so you gotta you gotta diversify and manage your talent um and that's that's me speaking as a as a mm. leader but looking at the pieces that you have and implementing them and being willing to evolve and uh, execute in the required ways not just coming across as like hey we only go a to b here that's that's our way of thinking. We're going to impose our will and our beliefs and whatever else we got on you. And we're, we're just going to win, whatever that means. You're never going to win anything doing that. I think it's a really good example of basically what you just talked about is true diversity um, mm. within the military, within policing, service to others. Um, that's what it really means. And it's very important that people understand that. I really like that uh, Brenda there has such a breadth of options like your tool belt there there are a lot of tools on the tool belt you know you got your jiu-jitsu you've got your verbal communication you got your empathy you got your de-escalation ability and you're able to reach for the one that's appropriate at the right time whereas someone who's you know overemphasizing one of those you know it could be the person who's too much in the communication misses and doesn't have that physical capability when it's needed but you know that real breadth of a skill set there I think that that's something that all of us in the you know uniform wearing community, we all want to keep working on and finding our weak area and build that area up and you know keep our strengths good, but look for those deficiencies. How speaking of that, uh, Brenda, I know you said you're doing some courses and so on, and you obviously train and work out in jujitsu and all the rest of it. How have you seen uh, in your time policing and being a, a field training officer and all the rest of it? How have you seen people? effectively work on their weak areas like how have you seen um training programs be run or people individually identifying a weakness and and work to turn that around i think 
it's hard to do that because the majority of people that go into policing are alpha and they have egos, you know? And so they, they <laughs> think they're going to, and then they go out there and they, they, uh, you know, get proven wrong. And then they start slowly. Like they're like, okay, maybe I need to talk better. Um, maybe I need to listen more. And so we have programs like that. You know, we have classes like that. Um, the department, um, we have, for example, if somebody feels like um, I really need to work on my fighting, I got I got into a fight the other day. It took me a long time to get somebody in handcuffs. Well, there's five gyms around this area that MMA gyms that give free classes for police officers. And so you can go in twice a week and they'll give you free class. And they're they're awesome because they want to help out the community. They know the kind of job that we do and, you know, having to go hands on with people all the time. And um, so they want to teach us those techniques for free. So if somebody comes up to me and they're like, hey, man, I really need to work on my fighting. I'm like, yeah, I know this, this and that gym. I can get you in contact with mm -hmm. the owner and we can get you in there. And, you know, twice a week you can get in for free. Um, if, if somebody so feels like they need to uh, work on their people skills and listening. And we have a class called uh, CIT uh, and they go, it helps deal and have conversations with people that are going through a, um, a critical time, a critical incident, a, 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 uh, a mental health crisis. Mm -hmm. um, so it's crisis intervention training. And uh, so you, it's a 40 hour class and it's taught by a psychiatrist uh, for the department. And there's a bunch of mental health people that come out and speak to us like clinicians and things like that. And they have people that deal with mental health issues that come in and speak during that class. You take field trips and you go to the jail and you go to um, some of these mental health hospitals and you speak to people that are going through the programs. Um, so that's my mom coming down the stairs. <laughs> my mom. <laughs> shout out shout out to brenda's mom i mean so so this is two excellent uh examples you've just given us brenda there of like the the you know jujitsu or the physical hands-on classes that people can attend and they've got the opportunity to do them at a discount or maybe a couple for free a week which is just which is just awesome and yeah. then and then you've also just boom you're including that uh the other side of the coin that the crisis intervention training which just sounds like an amazing thing with field visits to prisons and uh, with run by a psychologist. You, you said at the top that, you know, the alphas and there's a lot of them <laughs> on the call right now and listening. <laughs> I know that there are. Um, Self-awareness can be like that difficult limit, you know, a bit of a barrier to, to undertaking training can be that sort of perception that, no, 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 I've got all this sorted out. You know, like I, I, I know boats, um, I've been doing this a while and I know what I'm doing. How have you seen that play out? How have you seen people overcome that natural tendency that the alphas have to, to always want to portray that sort of strong facade and that's that capable front that, that we want to put out, especially in a, in a professional environment. How have you seen people be able to deal with that as, as there been effective ways you've seen people be able to get off that sort of, maybe that lower that barrier and be able to take on some, uh, home truths and a bit of learning? I think police officers are really good at calling each other out on our bullshit. <laughs> That's good. <laughs> like we, and we just, and it's a lot of making fun of each other in a good way to bring up the sub subject uh, and help people. And we're like, hey man, uh, what happened there? You, you, you couldn't, uh, you could, that old lady beat you up or something like, you know, we just... <laughs> And that's the way we just make fun of each other and, and we get the point across and we help people out. If I see that somebody's struggling with something, I'm going to tell them. Um, and it doesn't matter if it's somebody that has more experience than me. If, um, you know, it's about being able to make a better team, right? And I want the people around me to be awesome. And I've had people you know, around me that have less experience. I mean, had come up to me like, Hey, you didn't handle this the best that you could or whatever. And I was like, you know what? You're right. I let my emotions, uh, take over and, um, and I really, I'll, I'll work on that. Um, I think being accepting is super important mm -hmm. too. And sometimes people struggle with the acceptance part. 
of it. Uh, but if there's several people coming up to you and telling you the same thing, then maybe there is a problem. And maybe there's something that you have to work on. And for me, it was my attitude. I was super spicy when I came Ooh, out. Latin spicy. Imagine <laughs> that. We, we used to have a Latin spicy man on the show. Uh, I can't imagine. I can't imagine you being all fiery, Brenda. <laughs> <laughs> it's definitely, you know, I came out and I was super spicy. And I've, I've heard it from several people. And I was like, you know what? I really need to come down because yeah. I'm escalating things with my spiciness as opposed to de-escalating. And uh, I went to that class and I have uh, learned over time um, that you get more uh, bees with honey, right? So <laughs> Love it. That's so good because it was, I was sort of just w working with an assumption that, you know, we're dealing with a very self-aware and emotionally uh, high EQ sort of female uh, on the call and that this would be a natural strength of yours. So it's really good for me to just like, you know, peel that sort of uh, back. And to see that this is something you've actually gone and worked on is pretty amazing. You know, that this was not a strong area for you and you've made it into a strong area. That This is like it, the exact example. I didn't think it was going to be the case. That's pretty cool. Yeah, I like the I like the attracting more bees with honey than uh, <laughs> flies with shit. <laughs> so <laughs> it's definitely, definitely a double-sided coin there and make sure you're attracting what you want. Um, so and, I really like that. I also love the whole, uh, our colleagues provide us with feedback, you know, like <laughs> the, the people out there who are not wearing uniforms at work. I, you know, I don't know how, how heavy the feedback is they get there from their colleagues, but I know that all of my friends, uh, my Australian, my, my friends out here as well, it's, it's a, you need a pretty thick skin to survive and you know, you've got it, you've got to, and that feedback is, is, is probably even better than the formal stuff really for the benefit of the uh, individual. Yeah, absolutely. And you know what? I got told my whole life um, that, <laughs> that I was a little spicy and I needed to relax a little bit. And my mentor in, in high school, uh, Miss Gwenin, and uh, she just passed away. Um, God bless her soul. Um, she passed away last month. She told me during high school uh, that uh, you catch more bees with honey. And I just kept like, you know, ignoring it. I just didn't get it until I got into policing. And I was like, you know what? Wow. You're right. This makes so much sense. If I would have known, if you would have, you know, actually sat down and thought about it, um, you know, 20 years ago, <laughs> I don't know. Life was, would have been so much easier. But isn't it great that like a teacher can have that impact on you years later still? You know what I mean? Yeah. That something, uh, something that's true, a real principle is really still a, a real principle. And if you can open yourself up to it, it's amazing what you can learn. Yeah. You're going to go there, Mike? Yeah, older people that are educated know more than young, arrogant people or young, arrogant <laughs> children. Imagine that. That's wild, dude. I never heard that before. I thought I knew everything. I'm going to have to reinvent my whole life. Man. Um, no, I was just playing. Um, we're getting towards the end, but we have one more question. And it's one of the things that you brought up in the uh, pre-interview that we had with you. And we wanted to ask you from your perspective, how has society changed over the years with regards to morality? So we were talking about this before. There is a, there's been a shift in social morality, right? What things that are used to be taboo or not normal are now normalized. And uh, that has created a problem just the way people live their lives, you know, and uh, what they considered acceptable and normal and okay. Um, we have had so many teenagers getting in trouble more than, you know, when I was growing up and I'm sure that when Melon was growing up and I'm not sure how old you are, Mike, but uh, he's in between. <laughs> I never grew up. I never grew up. <laughs> <laughs> but like you, don't, you back then, how many teenagers did you see with guns on the street shooting each other? You know what I mean? How many did you see selling hard drugs? Um, no, back then it was mostly just like, yeah, we would get uh, get in trouble for like drinking, uh, being teenagers and drinking or going out like smoking weed or things like that that were super normal now things have escalated so much and they've been normalized with social media, with the things that we're seeing on our, 
parents do and the environments that they're growing up in that it's so normal. They just think it's normal to go out and just, uh, you know, point a gun at somebody and steal their car and break into cars every single night. And, uh, you know, just the things that we're normalizing now is not okay. And it's gotten worse over time. And you see that in the crime rates. Um, you see that in the people that we're uh, putting in jail. Um, and it's very, very unfortunate, um, especially with the drug use, because back in the day, like it was taboo. We didn't talk about it. We didn't, you know, but there were still people smoking crack and doing heroin and all that stuff. But now people are doing it out in the open. And right. it's, it's become believe? a pandemic. What do you believe is the reasoning for that? What what brought us to this point or what's not being done? I think we were we stopped having rules at some point. Who? We stopped like like you know, parents stopped parenting. Um mm. a lot of the times that we talk you guys talk about all the time, high divorce rates. So parents stop parenting, they worry about other things, they're not being there to raise their child they're letting their child be raised by the streets or by social media or by a video game or things that don't matter they're not teaching um you know morals to them mm. um and the important things that make a person a good person they're not teaching that kind of stuff anymore and it's very very sad because we we're starting to create a generation that is not it's not helping. It's not, it's not contributing anything good to society. And mm. uh, I think at some point we, there's gotta be a turnaround point. There's gotta be, I hope so, a turnaround. It's, it's interesting, Brenda, to hear that from you as, you know, a first generation migrant who moved to the U S when you were nine and coming out of a, a, a single parent household, you could say that, you know, that, that that could be a trajectory or an environment where people could come, you know, you could grow up in that environment and go take the wrong path. So what is it that you saw in your home and your upbringing that you're seeing is the gap, you know what I mean, the change or the gap between what how you grew up and, and you've ended up, you know, as a nine-year-old little girl, you wanted to become a police officer. And, and you're seeing now, pretty shocking to hear this normalization of uh, drugs and violence among teenagers. You know what I mean? So I you, you've up, come from a single mom home. Yeah. So actually, uh, I grew up in in majority of my childhood was was in Argentina, and I got to the U.S. when I was nine. And the values that were instilled in me earlier on through my mm. grandparents, through my aunts and uncles, uh, seeing that mm. work ethic, and you know, we were lower middle class there. Um, and seeing how much they work to get the things that they wanted and, and being able to have so much family around to instill those values early on in my life. And then moving to the US and seeing my mom's work ethic and all the yeah. things that she continued to instill in me. And honestly, I can attribute a lot of the great things that I learned through some of the mentors that I had. You know, mm -hmm. I had a I had a mentor in, in, in middle in elementary school and he was my first uh taekwondo instructor uh and he was amazing and that taught me respect and uh co like co being committed to something and um just there's so many mm. good things that you can that you learn through doing martial arts and then when i got to high school having miss gwen in there that you know taught me all the other things um and how to be a strong independent woman and i saw her she was she was a uh, mom of, uh, she, she has two kids and she adopted two and she was such a strong woman and being able to have her in my life and just being able to have people in my life that steer me in the right direction and believed in me and pushed me to do mm. better was what I needed. It's such, it's such a strong theme. It's such a consistent theme. Uh, my dad passed when I was 11 and my mom raised the four of us. And like, I think seeing, having an extended family helps, having grandparents and cousins and uncles and aunts and, and that the family has a, 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 it's just a set of values that is not just one person. 
and then seeing your own parent like really put in and, and put a shift in and work hard in a difficult situation. I think that that, that just is a lifelong gift that a parent gives a child, mm-hmm. you know, and, and it's not necessarily something you're going to see a result from right away. And it can, it can seem like a thankless task, but you yeah. seeing your mum, you seeing your mum do that and display that, that work ethic, that respect and commitment. It's just, it's a transformative thing, you know, like me and my brother seeing my mum, how she managed to keep, you know, body and soul connected for us when we were young. I don't know how now. Like as an adult, I have no idea how she did what she did. But it's it's a lifelong gift that you give people and you don't have to have everything. You don't have to be like upper middle class to pass on strong values and work ethic and character. Right. You know what I mean? We, we, can, we can overly focus on the things that we're trying to give our kids and miss out on all this character and principles, which is really going to make the difference. In my opinion, yeah, yeah I, I really think, you know, there's too much emphasis. I mean, it's on social media everywhere. It's on the news every day. It's on the TV every day is, you know, you're not going to be happy until this happens. And it's like, who's the next president? Who's this? Who's that? Oh, this star won a Grammy or like whatever this meaningless shit is. It's start at home. The battle mm-hmm. starts at home. If your home is not good, if your family's not good, if you know, the parents are, are present or not present, like that's going to make everything um, and, and put your energy there and start there. You're not going to just step out and change the world, change the country, uh, change the state. I mean, you know, whatever, start at home. Like, what does that look like? What's your relationships at home? What are you saying? What are you allowing? Mm-hmm. What's okay? What's not okay? What conversations are, um, let me rephrase that. What uncomfortable conversations are you having or not having at home? Uh, that's leading to the direction of your family or your children. Um, it's definitely being communicated in the wrong way, I think, to society. Um, and then also to just the backside of it. I think people are almost scared to step in when required because there's so much um, there's so much backlash that can come from it. And mm. I think that's why people, you know, you're watching a kid run down, what was it, the Super Bowl uh, parade a couple of days ago, there was like 22 people shot, and there was two shooters. And you watch one of the shooters running past a few hundred yards of people before two guys finally were like, we're going to tackle this dude. And everybody else is on their phone filming. Like, unbelievable. Unbelievable that... Mm that those two guys weren't down immediately because people chose to stood up for other people and be like, dude, I'm going to tackle him. He's 10 feet away from me. Instead it took, you know, I don't know what minutes before these people were caught. I mean, that's the problem. You know, it's, it's just, it magnifies itself. And then the ripple effect happens. So, um, and did you see that they were teenagers? Uh, yeah, I did. I actually did see that, you know, and how, how sad that you think, you know, I don't know what their motive was, but at a Super Bowl, are you mad that a team won a game that you're going to you think that's the answer or you're stressed out at school and you think the answer is taking a, a gun to school and hurting people? Like, why aren't there, you know, communication happening at home about like your kid? Like, how are you doing mentally, you know, or telling your kids that you love them or you care for them or instilling the right principles or values or character uh, traits into your kids or to your family so that they know is like, man, I'm really getting teased at school. I'm going to come home and talk about it and learn how to like navigate it in a healthy way, not resorting to drugs, not resorting to violence. Like that used to be a thing. And now it just seems like, nah, we don't need to do that here. Just hit the easy button. And there is no easy Mm. button. It's the evil button. It's the shit button. Um, Even parenting, Mike, there's, there's like a, I feel like there's a there was a drift in the parenting where it used to be really totally okay for parents to say no and have pretty strong rules for their kids, and then it sort of became a bit. I think it became very difficult for parents in the society. It was a lot a lot of like there is no black and white, and you know you shouldn't be pushing your kids to do things, and you should be asking them what they want to eat for dinner, and it's sort of it's 
it's a confused, it can be a confusing time, if you, but the parents who are willing to step forward and be like, no, 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 I'm going to be fairly firm here. And these are the rules and the ground rules and um, keep the, the left and right of arc, you know, tight with little kids. And then they're able to, to grow and develop inside that space. I think that there's a huge amount of stuff that people can do inside their own four walls with their own family, with their own children, in, you know, their own family connections, that you don't have to be super permissive, that it's totally okay. Like it's healthy for kids to hear no. It's healthy for kids to to have the parents share with them the difficulties they're having in their day. And, and you know, you don't have to maintain a facade with your own kids, that there can be a loving but firm uh, place that I think really produces teenagers and hopefully adults that are not are not prey to these sorts of temptations you know like I, like I feel like a lot of this starts at home it really does and and I don't know a lot of the shootings that you know we had um in my last apartment were teenagers and young adults and it was all through beefing through social media like somebody took somebody's girl and so they didn't like each other and they were just, they could just go shoot each other up. You know, back in the day, people would, people would just throw hands, you know, yeah. they were just, Oh, meet me after school in the back, in the back of the school. And they just fight fist. Now people are bringing guns. And that, to me, that's like such a pussy thing to do. Like people don't fight anymore. They just don't fight with their fists. They just bring guns to the fight. Um, yeah, fighting on. with fighting with your fist was too hard. Yeah. <laughs> You know, yeah, too hard. That requires effort. That requires discipline to learn how to fight, to learn how to actually defend yourself or somebody that you care about or love for the right reasons. That's way too much effort. You know, mm. like that. I mean, our kids, my kids still don't have social media. You know, fifteen or seventeen, and they've just been told that that's that's not on the cards. And we're so firm in all the other areas. They know that that's there's just no arguing with it, and they just get on. And they've got great face to face friends. You know. I'm um, at the video game and hang out online with friends, but there's no there's no social media account. Like I think there's a lot of there's a massive experiment we sort of started on our young people by giving them social media access too young, and it's a confusing thing for kids. You know, like the difference between online and face to face, and the things that people will say to each other online, it's just terrible. It's confusing. And I like I feel like I feel like strong guidelines for young people really help with a lot of this stuff. And, and and saying yes to kids on their whims can really lead to a lot of problems. Yeah. I mean, if you go to social media, what's being normalized now on social media is OnlyFans, right? Oh, my it's God. So, it's so normal, but it opens up doors to mm -hmm. um, human trafficking, too, because that's the kind of stuff that you can you can start an OnlyFans for a girl that you're human, that you're trafficking. And who's going to stop it? Who's going to know? Uh, you know, th these are the, the little things that start normalizing and super mm -hmm. normal now for girls to have uh, OnlyFans accounts. Uh, but it opens up doors to really messed up things. Mm -hmm. So, and people don't think of that kind of stuff, you know? Mm -hmm. uh, it's also free advertising for human trafficking. Yeah. Well, that, that requires wow. reading and actually learning about something, which I don't have time to do, so... You know, like you see what I'm saying? Like the effort, the effort isn't there. Like everyone's mm -hmm. first layer. This is what I want up. Oh, that's what it is. That's what I get there. It doesn't seem like anybody's like wanting to learn about layer two, layer three, layer four, layer five, or the ripple effect of like, what's going to happen in society. What's going to happen more than just myself. Well, I want to get mine. So I'm going to get mm -hmm. mine, but I'm going to, but I'm going to, I'm going to fuck over 10 other people or I'm going to screw my community over or I'm going to mess up my family by doing it, right? Well, that's fine. I don't need to worry about that. I don't need to look at that because look at what, like, look at what right in front of me. I can have this, you know? And I think that message is so easy to fall into. Um, we're, we're all guilty of it at some point in our life. You know, like we're, we all, so, sometimes we just get tired and we're just like, you know what? I'm just going to do me today and I'm going to hit this easy button and I get, um, but over time, like fundamentally, um, yeah, I totally agree. We're losing that. We're losing that as a society. Um, last thing that we want to ask you is, um, you know, through all this, all these experiences and great examples that you've shared as, you mm. know, both a person, as a woman, as a police officer, 
what's something you'd want to share with people? You know, maybe they're listening. I don't know. What would something you'd want to share with the people you that you've uh, apprehended? And uh, like a reminder or some type of connection that you'd want them to hear from you if they were listening. You know, a lot of the times I get asked um, after I arrest somebody, if I think that they're bad people, mm-hmm. they're like, Hey, do you think I'm a bad person? And I just reply back to them. I don't think you're a bad person. I think you've made a bad choice. Um, and when there's choices, there's consequences. However, you can always turn things around and you can start making good choices. I don't think you're a bad person. Uh, the majority of the time, uh, there's some really vile things that, you know, only very evil people would do. But the, the 99.999% of the people are not bad people. They have just made bad choices. And that's the consequences of their bad choices. And that's all. Brenda, I feel like we're probably at the uh, the end of the time that we've got here, but like I, I really feel like there's there's like hours more conversation we could have with you. I'd love to do a part two at some point in the future. You know, no need to commit now, but you've just got got such a great message and you, viewpoint that you've brought from your family and your childhood and uh, clearly community and service and contribution has been real a really big part of your life from a very young age and you have this great insight into uh i think you've you've picked something that i've not really thought of before this normalization of um a deviation from values you know talking about the only fans and i have not thought about that before and i think that that's a real insight uh, a, a normalization of drugs a normalization of permissive attitudes towards violence and stuff that that's a real societal change that is sort of happening at the moment. I feel like you've really got something real to offer. And I think that that's going to be a, a real message that our community is going to, going to love hearing. So I just really want to thank you for, for coming on and sharing with us and, and, and reaching out and uh, this amazing conversation that you've, you've participated in. Um, is there anything else that you wanted to, did you want to leave uh, our audience with? We can, we can let them know that they can contact through us if they wanted to send a message to you. You don't have to put any of your details out there. But is there any final message you wanted to leave the listeners with? Uh, no, but I do want to thank you guys for having me. By the way, this is Gronk. He jumped on my lap because I haven't given him attention this morning. <laughs> <laughs> for the listeners, the people who can't see, there's a beautiful puppy in a blue jacket. and He's, he's wearing an NYPD jacket. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> Oh my goodness. He's my little canine. <laughs> oh my God. He's not a Happy drug dog. Little... He's a hug dog. Got it. Yeah. <laughs> Happiest little beast in the whole world. <laughs> well, well then maybe we'll have a round two in future. And if you want to get any uh, questions or feedback to Brenda, please uh, come through Mike or I'll pass them all on. As usual, we'd love you guys to subscribe and share this out into your community if you feel that this has made a difference. Uh, leave us a review. Start with five star. Let us know if we're if we're not meeting your uh, your standards, and we'll try to improve. But until next week, thanks for stopping by and hearing Brenda's amazing tale, and we'll see you next time.